The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. When Al and I were talking about some Christmas themes, um, I said to Alan, I said, you know, Christmas is a little bit messier than, uh, than what we have been led to believe. Uh, we've cleaned up the Christmas story, haven't we? Uh, you know, even like the manger scene is all cleaned up. I mean, we throw a little bit of straw in there, but we don't really get this concept that this was a, a dusty, dirty place that the child was, was born in. And, you know, there's, there's other uh, things around the story. You know, the, uh, King Herod hears about this uh, king baby that's being born, and so he has all the two-year-old boys and younger slaughtered. We don't preach a lot of messages on those, on those themes, do we? We like to keep it kind of nice and neat and clean, the Christmas story. But the Christmas story is more like how my uh, gifts look after I've wrapped them. I've never gotten the hang of this. You know, my, I, I always I, I use too much paper, uh, there's uh, too much tape, something, but it, it always looks a little bit lopsided, I, you know, left, I, I'm, I'm cutting pieces off, and you know, I can't, and, and that's more of what Christmas uh, looks like, a little bit messy, not as clean and neat as, as we'd like uh, to believe. In fact, I've just started buying those gift bags. Under the tree, our son and, and my wife, Cindy, they, they know what gifts are from me because they're all in a bag with some tissue thrown in on top. I've given up. <laughs> but the Christmas story is messier than what we've been led to believe. In, in fact, I, I want to use this word. It's a, it's a little bit scandalous. The, the Christmas story, for those first hearers, was kind of scandalous. I, I mean, you know, non-Jews kind of pick up on the story even before those who should have been in anticipation of the coming Messiah, the coming King. Uh, the, the whole manger scene. Uh, I, I mean, there are some scandals associated with the Christmas story, if you really think about it. You know, we sometimes we'll skip over some of the, the parts of the Christmas story uh, that aren't quite as comfortable as some of the, the other parts. And this, this morning, I want us to take a look at a, a, a piece of Scripture that, that we, we usually just skim right over. We, we usually skip this part. When we're reading this, the Christmas story to our children, we usually don't read this part to our story. But I want to read a little bit of this to you because... Uh, it's the backstory for the story that Matthew wants to tell. And, and Luke uses a genealogy also, a list of names. It is not the, the typical way that you would start a book out. You want to grab someone's attention. It's not how you would start a talk out even. You, know, you want to grab people's attention and keep them. But Matthew and Luke think that it's important enough to give us this list of names, this genealogy, because it is a backstory to the stories that they want to tell. And, you know, unless you know the backstory, 
it's hard sometimes to really appreciate the true meaning of the story itself. Most stories uh, that we enjoy all have a backstory. Some of the movies that we enjoy seeing, the backstory is almost as important as the story itself. Several months ago, Sid and I, we saw the, the movie Blindside, and I'm not sure if you've seen that movie, but it's the story of Michael Orr, uh, who is now a professional football player. But in some of the earlier scenes, in, in one early scene in particular, you know, that uh, Leanne and Sean Tui, they, they see Michael walking the streets of Memphis on a rainy, cold night, and, uh, and their heart goes out to them, and they, they pick him up, and they kind of find out uh, that he doesn't have a place to go and a place to stay, and so they kind of they, they take him in, and they, they uh, kind of adopt him and, and bring him into their home. And, uh, and there's this one scene where they've prepared this bedroom for Michael, uh, and uh, he's a big boy, and, uh, and there's a computer there and a desk. And, and Leanne looks at him and, and says, this is all yours. And Michael looks at her and says, I've never had one before. And Leanne says, what, a bedroom? And he says, no, a bed. And just hearing and seeing that scene tells you a whole backstory of this young man's life. And so... As we look at this passage of Scripture that, that Matthew wants us to know, now we're going to read the whole genealogy. Some of you are going, oh man, we're going to be here a while. But I want us to just grab a little piece of, of some of the names that Matthew lists. It's in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. and says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now this would have been really important, and most of the scholars believe that the, the, uh, the genealogies are in here because of this need to trace Jesus' roots, his ancestry, back to the prophetic images uh, that the Jews were accustomed to, back to uh, David, back to Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. We're going to get back to her in just a little bit. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. This is where a lot of times when you're reading this with your kids or whatever, you check out, huh? Kind of stop it there. Oh, let's skip ahead. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of King David, David the father of Solomon, and on and on, name after name, until verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph and the husband of Mary, and Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so here's this list of names. Some of these names uh, we know, we're familiar with. Uh, we, we, we know David. We, we, we know Abraham, but there's some names in this list that we're not as familiar with. Some of these names, uh, I think, have a lesson, perhaps, to even tell us that Matthew is saying, if you'll, if you'll check it out, if you'll research it a little bit, you'll know a little bit more and you'll have a, a better appreciation for this story that I'm about to tell you. It's the backstory 
of the story that Matthew wants us to know. Now, some of these names, uh, of course, we're, we're familiar with, and, and uh, some of them left legacies of faith, and some of them left uh, huge legacies of dysfunction, didn't they? Some of these uh, names you, we can be proud of as part of our heritage. Some of them, not so much. And in fact, there's one of those names. I, I was familiar with, with a lot of those names, and, and uh, I think it's important that Matthew uh, mentions these four women in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, right there, that would have been kind of a, a check on the Jews' pride right there. Most of them wouldn't have even included the women in their genealogies. They, they just wouldn't have warranted a mention. They weren't important enough. But Matthew is saying there are these four women. Now, you're familiar with several of these women's uh, names that are in there. Rahab. Rahab, the, the prostitute who helped the spies uh, in the city of Jericho. You might be familiar with Bathsheba. We're familiar with her story, aren't we? Uh, and... Uh, the adultery that, uh, that she was involved in and, and with, with King David and, and all her sordid uh, story. We're, we're familiar with that story, aren't we? Ruth, Ruth was a foreigner. She wasn't even a Jew. Ruth was a, a Moabitess. And so she was a foreigner. But here she shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. And then there's Tamar. And I wasn't quite as familiar with Tamar. If I were to ask you, some of you, the story of Tamar, some of you would go, hmm. I, I mean, the name sounds vaguely familiar, but I'm not quite sure what her story was all about. And I, I want to share with you just a couple things about Tamar this morning. The backstory of the Christmas story. And then I want us to take a look at three or four applications of her story and of the story of the genealogy. Well, Tamar was promised uh, to be married to the oldest son of Judah, uh, and his oldest son's name was Ur. Ur. Now, there's a couple of parents that just aren't trying. You know what I mean? I mean, when they got out the baby books, you know, and started thinking, you know, what are we going to name our, our firstborn son, you know? Er, E R. Uh, and then their second son was Onan, and their third, his third son was Sheila. Kind of a strange name for a son, also, right? Sheila. Uh, I don't know, there's something strange going on there. But Tamar was promised to be married to Er. And in just a couple of short verses, her story is found, by the way, in Genesis chapter 38, if you want to check me out on this, and uh, maybe later go back and read it. But her, uh, she is probably, just a couple of verses, in the 38th chapter of the book of Genesis, we read these words, Ur was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he was killed. So Judah says to his second son, Onan, you must now marry Tamar so that your oldest brother, Ur, will have an heir. But Onan did not uh, want to do this. His heart was never in that process. He did not want to marry Tamar, and he did not want to produce an heir for his older brother. 
And so we read in just a couple of verses that Onan, every time that Onan and Tamar slept together, he, 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 his all wasn't in it. Uh, and he would not consummate the relationship. He would, well, the scripture says, spill his semen on the ground. Kind of messy, huh? Not, not the backstory that we really want to hear. And so because of that, all it says is that the Lord saw Onan, that he was evil, and he was killed. So here's Tamar. She's 0 for 2. <laughs> Things are not going well for Tamar. Here were these two losers. Now, I can suspect that as a young girl, kind of imagine Tamar, some of the hopes and dreams that she might have had that probably every young girl has, plans to fall in love. And and even if it was arranged, plans to fall in love with a a person, a man that she could grow to love uh, and respect and and have children with, with and, and raise a family and, and have a nice household. But instead, her dream becomes a nightmare. A nightmare with Ur and Onan. But it's about to get worse. Because Judah says to her, now you go home and I'll promise my third son, Shelah, I promise him to you. Now you go home, but Shelah was too young. She was not old enough to marry Tamar. And so Judah said, go home, Tamar, and wait for Sheila to get old enough. And so Tamar went back to her home, back to her household, back to her family, and she waited, and she waited, and she waited, and nothing. Here she was, a a widow, without a lot of love in her life, without a lot of hopes and dreams, except for just waiting for this third brother, Sheila. And after several years had passed, she figured, he's old enough. I know he's old enough. And so she takes things into her own hands. She takes off her widow's clothes, and she veils her face, and she sits out on the city street, and she waits for Judah. And Judah comes by, and Judah propositions her thinks that she's a prostitute, but because her face is veiled, he cannot recognize her. And he propositions her for sex. And he says, I don't have anything to give you, to pay you with, but I will send you a goat later. And Tamar says, well, okay, but what are you going to give me to make sure that you'll send the goat? She says, I'll tell you what. Give me your identification, your cord, and your walking stick, and we'll have a deal. And after several months, Tamar is pregnant with her father-in-law's baby. Now, Judah sends the goat ahead, and they could not find this temple, this shrine prostitute anywhere. And so... The servant comes back and says, can't find her. And he says, let her keep my stuff. We'll take the goat back. We tried. Later, Judah discovers that Tamar is pregnant, that Tamar did not wait for 
His son, Shelah, of course, Judah, he never had any intentions of sending his third and last son to Tamar, who apparently, in his eyes, was bad luck. (laughs) He'd already lost two of his older sons. He wasn't about to lose the third. But he finds out that Tamar is pregnant, and he says, bring her here, and we are going to execute her. We're going to stone her, as the law says that we can do. And when Tamar shows up, and she is holding his identification, his cord, and his walking stick, she looks at him and says, you are the man. And he marries her, but there's a verse in chapter 38 of Genesis that says, He never really loved her, and he never, ever slept with her. I don't know about you, but as I I look at that story, there is a huge ooh factor to it. One of the reasons why I wanted to share this this story with you is because I wanted you to see the messiness, the scandal, if you will, of the Christmas story. This is the backstory. This is one of the names that is in the Christmas story, the genealogy, the ancestry of Jesus, Tamar. What a past. Pretty sordid. Now, I want to draw three or four applications from this story, from, from the backstory that Matthew tells us. And the first one is this, and I, there might be a place to keep notes, and there might be a Um, something up on the screen here that will give this to you. Here's the first application I want to make. It's this. God's plan is bigger than any of the mistakes that you and I can ever make. You know, this list is filled with people who made huge mistakes. I mean, even the ones that we know well. Abraham. Abraham. God's plan is bigger than the lies that you've told others and yourself. Ruth, Ruth, God's plan is bigger than your background, than your heritage, than your nationality. God is bigger than that. Rahab and Bathsheba, God is bigger than the sexual mistakes in your life. David, God is bigger than the lust that you had for something that you could not have, something that was forbidden from you. Tamar, God is bigger than this mess that was both made of your life and that you made of your life. Each one of us, as we come into this Christmas season, uh, we're at varying degrees of dysfunction, aren't we, and of brokenness. Perhaps maybe you're here today and just going, oh man, you know what? The mistakes I've made, Pastor Jeff, are just too great. I'm not quite sure that God could love me again or ever forgive me again. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I have heard people say those words to me as I have preached a message of grace. And I want to say to you today, I want to say to you that if, if that's how you're 
feeling and, and believing as you come into this Christmas season, as, as you consider some of these stories that we've just talked about in the story of Tamar, I want you to know today that if that's the view of God that you hold, then your God is too small. Your God is too small because God is bigger than any of the mistakes that you and I have ever made. What we try to do is we try to reduce God down to the size of our biggest failure, don't we? We do that all the time. And God is saying, look, I'm bigger than that. I can take that in. I can forgive your past. I can love you just as you are if you'll come to me. And I think that's one of the things that we learn from this backstory of the story of Christmas. This list of names, this list of, of characters that we looked at. God, God's plan in your life is bigger than the mistakes that you've made. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I, in fact, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, which one should I share with them? <laughs> there are so many. I remember several years ago, uh, I made the wrong choice of, of drinking and getting into a car and driving. And uh, I, I got into a, a battle with a tree, and the tree won. I got to tell you that there were times in my life when that just followed me and it haunted me. In fact, it stayed on my record for five years. And even though I had become a Christian not too long after that, I remember going to uh, uh, apply to be accepted into a Christian college to start studying for the ministry, and, and it popped up on my record. I remember feeling this sense of shame and guilt. Yeah, the, the mistakes I've made are, are too big. Too many, too much. God can't use me now. I just want you to know this morning that this Christmas, this Christmas, you can, you can believe that, that God is bigger than the, the mistakes that you've made. Now also, a, a second thing, that an uh, uh, application I want to draw from this is this. You cannot assess your life by one lifespan. I think what Matthew was saying, and then Luke in his genealogy also, they're saying, grab a bigger perspective on your life. In fact, Matthew goes on to say that there were 14 generations times three, 14, then 14 more generations, 14 more generations. 40, I, I think what Matthew's saying, get a 42-generation perspective on your life. You see, Tamar, against all odds, she raised these sons. And one of these sons had a son who 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 had the son of God. Tamar, I just, I just told you her story. Some of you probably go, man, but I'm not as messed up as that. I'm glad my mistakes aren't as big as that mistake. And yet, look at that. That's the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God. 
it's tough to assess your life by just one lifespan. We have to at some point say, God, what is the eternal perspective here on my life and what you want to do in my life? A third application. It's not just who goes before you, but it's who you leave behind and what you leave behind. A lot of us come from dysfunctional situations, don't we? Dysfunctional families. In, in fact, not, perhaps maybe not a lot of us, maybe most of us, if not all of us, ha have a bit of dysfunction in our background, don't we? I don't forget when Cindy and I were, were dating, um, and we were just getting to that place where I was about to ask her to marry me. I mean, we had looked at rings, and you know, we were all excited about the future, and, and just at that time, her parents decided that they were going to get a divorce. And I remember the intense conversations that Cindy and I had about our life and, and our future. And I remember Cindy saying, you know, what are the guarantees? My, my parents thought that they loved each other at one point too, just like we say that we love each other. And it, we entered into some conversations about what, what about our parents can we, we emulate and what can we eliminate? And what kind of legacy do we seek to leave? And I think that those are uh, important and vital conversations for us to have uh, as parents. If you're a young parent, uh, if you're a, a, a grandparents, you know, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? What can we emulate and what can we eliminate uh, from our past? Because it's not just what goes before you. See, we want to concentrate on just what went before Oh man, we're destined to do that. We're destined to, to just be like our parents. And I want you to know this morning that that doesn't have to be your destiny. Your destiny can be different than the dysfunction from your past. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news this morning, this Christmas? You don't have to be chained to your past. You can be set free from that. I am so thankful for that freedom in my own life. Oh, there's been times uh, that I've wanted to go back to that, and the enemy will whisper in my ear, oh yeah, you're not worthy. I don't have to be chained by the past. I want you to know, too, that um, you know, next year, Cindy and I will celebrate 30 years together. So we... We've broken that cycle. Couldn't have done it without the Lord Jesus being in the center of our marriage. I love the quote that says, societies grow great when it's young men, when it's old men and women plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. Some of you are sitting here today and you're going, man, I just don't know, my past is so sordid, maybe not as sordid as Tamar, but it's so sordid I want you to know that societies grow great when, young, when old men and women plant trees in whose shade they know they will never sit. It's what I've always loved about Mountain Park. You've always believed in your young people. I got to serve this church for 16 years and your young people uh, and always felt your support. You knew that you were planting seeds, maybe in 
under whose shade you would never sit, and it's still going on today. I, you know, I wasn't going to share this, but, I, but I'm going to. When, when we heard that, uh, that they were changing the name from Hot Church to Student Union, <gasps> Cindy and I were so pleased. We were so excited because we started saying, by the way, the name that we came up with way, way back, it was an accident. I didn't even like that name. But the kids liked the name. And we just held on to it and just hung on to it. And so when we heard that a new legacy was being born and birthed back there, our hearts soared. And we had lots of, we had lots of students, former students calling us, hear what they're doing? And we were the first to say, isn't it great? Wouldn't it be sad if like in, in 2050, there, it's still hot church? In 2050, it may not be student union, huh? Maybe something else. But you have always done that. You've planted trees in whose shade you may never sit in. And then my last application is this. And this is the best news of all. You, I think the genealogies are there to tell us this. You can be a part of this genealogy. All these names, some of them are heroes of the faith, but even the heroes of the faith had feet of clay and failed over and over again, sometimes miserably. So you can be a part of this family tree. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you excited about that? Now, I can't think of a better time of year, a better season of the year than the Christmas season, to ask you to intentionally say, I want to be a part of that family tree. In the movie Blindside, there's a scene towards the end, and they're sitting around the dinner table, uh, and Michael's been living with them for some time now, and, and uh, Leanne Tui looks at Michael and says, well, Michael, would you like to be a part of our family? And Michael looks at her and says, I thought I already was. But what I love about that is that they wanted to make it official. And I know many of you here, you've, you've made it official. Some of you perhaps have not. We used to do something here. I don't know if Alan has, has ever done this. and We don't do it much out in Levine, but... I, I just felt like this morning it would be kind of old school and kind of cool to do this. Here's what I'd like for us to do. And I think Marsha's going to come back and, and, and play a song here in just a moment. Some of you will remember that we used to do this song. But I'd like for each person here today, if you would just bow your heads. If you just spend some, some time maybe thinking about your own ancestry, your own background, your own past. Uh, I'd like for you to think maybe even about, have I made it official? Have I become part of the genealogy, a part of the Christmas story, the backstory of Christmas? Today you can. And here's what we used to do. While Marsha's just quietly playing, and everybody's head 
is bowed. This is going to be this is tougher than Alton Levine because there's more of you here. But I'd like for you to do is if today you would like to say, Jeff, I'd like to make it official. I'd like for you to look up at me and wait till I catch your eye. That's the part that might be tough, but I'm going to scan the crowd first over here to my left, to my left, to your right, the far right. And if today you'd like to say, you know what, Jeff, I just need to make it official today. I want you just to look up at me real quick. Awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic. What a great way to start the Christmas season. Fantastic. Just keep looking at me until I acknowledge you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Bless you. Bless you. Awesome. Fantastic. Awesome. I'm just going to keep scanning there. Awesome. Now over here in this, uh, my left middle section, uh, just look at me. Yes. All of, many of you are already looking. Thank you. Fantastic. Bless you. Fantastic. You can be sure today. Fantastic. I know it's kind of old school, but uh, all the way in the back there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Bless you. Way in the back there. God bless you. Exciting. Now to my right, right here. Fantastic. Oh, bless you. Awesome. Oh, great. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. Even if I don't acknowledge you, God, God sees you looking up. Fantastic. My eyesight used to be better in old days, too. Now over to my right here. Fantastic. Awesome, you guys. Maybe some of you have wandered away and you just would like to come back, make it, make it official. Fantastic. Exciting. Merry Christmas to you guys. Fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. There. Oh. Back in the back there. Father God, thank you so much for this time this morning. God, I thank you for each person here. Thank you that we can know the backstory to the story. We can be a part of the story. As many have taken that, that step this morning, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the choice that you made to send your son so we might know forgiveness, a second chance to start over and begin again. In Christ's name I pray.